1: faithful ladies' takeover of the Toonami Faithful podcast. With me, I have... Celia Rose,
2: director of social media.
1: And...
0: Unica Wong, editorial writer.
1: Awesome. So earlier this year, a group of us had a very long discussion about a Toonami show that heavily featured a certain character's clothing bursting off her at the most inopportune moments. Which kind of got us all thinking here, amongst the ladies... Is fan service really servicing the fan? But before we talk about that, we're going to have that long-awaited discussion about Harley Quinn's season one marathon that aired earlier this year on Toonami. We know it's a little late, but given that it's the month of Halloween, it feels somehow kind of perfect. So for those of you who did not watch Harley Quinn, it's a dark humor a dark tone animation show based off of the character who is uh, Joker's girlfriend. And this series follows her, essentially, ju- her, her journey after she breaks up with Joker and trying to find her identity as a, a single lady, but also as her own supervillain. Emeko, what were your thoughts about watching this
0: I thought Harley Quinn was hilarious, and it's right up my alley when it comes to um the dark humor and uh so many f bombs which I loved <laughs> but uh I thought it was a very good <laughs> it was a very good series um to where Harley tried to be her own woman. Which I thought that was a good message for, you know, for the show, for her show, is that she's just doing her best to get out of the Joker's shadow and be her own woman and be her own villain.
1: Yeah, so essentially the series follows up after she breaks up with Joker. Um, The first episode contains this really amusing sequence where she's in jail with Ivy, Poison Ivy, who's her best friend. and. She's repeatedly telling her that Joker is a lousy boyfriend who doesn't care about her. She waits and waits for him to break her out. Finally, she breaks herself out and goes through this transformative uh, um, makeover. She gets a cute new outfit. She gets this big mallet and she's like, I'm going to prove that I'm a competent villain and I'm going to show up the Joker and prove to him that I can do this. So I felt like this was a sort of mix between like what all females, I'm sure, go through after a breakup. You're just trying to show up your ex like, I didn't really need you, I'm better than this. But also her own independence is really important in this. She's just trying to prove to herself. Celia, what are your thoughts? Do you think that kind of was a theme for the show?
2: Yeah, for sure. And I remember there is a point where, like, oh, I can't remember the exact context because it's been a while, but yeah. where they're seeing visions from, like, their from their mind in like a dream or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's about, I want to say it's about midway through and her mind is still occupied by the Joker, even though they've broken up and, you know, and she's trying to be her own person and really trying to establish herself to show him up. And that's feel, felt kind of real because the reality is, is after you end a relationship that it can be hard to let that person go. So I kind of like that aspect and they played it off as like mm-hmm. a comedic bit too. So that way it wasn't, I'm like oh look she still loves him it's the reality is is she can't stop thinking about him like everything she's doing is being motivated even though it's in spite of him it's still by the Joker
1: yeah and she's joined of course by her uh, best friend Poison Ivy uh, along with some sidequicks that become part of her uh, gang King Shark Dr. Cyborg and later Cyborgman what do you think they contributed to the series overall Umeko let's start with you
0: Can I just say, I love King Shark. (laughs) I love King Shark so much. He's just so hilarious. (laughs) And, of course, uh, Clayface, with all of his elaborate backstories, for him to just do a part for, like, two minutes. But he has to have this big, long, elaborate um, backstory, which is just so funny. Yeah, his aspiring actor. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. So it's just I th- I think they bring so much to the show too because they're hilarious yeah. and um, Poison Ivy's plant yeah just had me dying <laughs> so uh, just those characters they brought a lot to it too and made it you know just so entertaining <laughs> yeah
1: I think my favorite aspect was the heavy uh, girlfriend uh action between ivy and and harley it's it's just very clear their their friendship is so indicative of like that situation but also of you know girlfriends in a regular situation too like they they act like normal women who talk to each other about their normal problems except that they're both super villains so i i liked that element what did you think about the I, poison ivy's character celia
0: um
2: I liked her in this one, but at the same time, I'm not as familiar with DC to like compare her with other versions of her. Like, I think I've encountered her a couple times in other comics where it's been a bit more serious. So this version of Ivy felt more like a, I guess kind of a millennial sense of humor instead of, you know, this dark, you know, femme fatale that is out there to try to kill people. Um, so I kinda like that. That felt a little bit refreshing compared to what how how I've encountered her before. And I like that. And I like that they're kind of using the current tone that they're setting up around Harley Quinn right now with like the Birds of Prey movie and stuff like that to give other characters like Ivy a chance to I guess rebrand a little bit so that they feel more mm-hmm. like an antihero and less like, you know, look at me, I'm dark and sexy and I'm going to murder you type of thing. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. The hero yeah. <laughs> really fits in well with Toonami in my opinion. I mean, aside from the dark humor and it was, it, and it was incredibly amusing to see a show where things are bleeped out frequently during the during the tsunami run itself and I just thought you know this this kind of works for tsunami it's got that that action but I think that the element of of humor as well as action you know for for that block show I mean come on what else do you want to watch at that time of night in my opinion but it it really worked in my opinion as a tsunami show even though it was purely promotional for the HBO series I, I think that they're doing a good job if they're going to bring in dc content something like this fits you know what i mean
0: yeah it really does it really does mm-hmm.
1: and not to mention there was some excellent voice acting uh, kaylee Kuoko plays harley and she's she was on a sitcom um What's the one? the The Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory. People might know where yeah,
0: that. Alan said Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah,
1: Lake Bell is Poison Ivy. Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk was on the um, show Firefly and has done a lot of humorous content. since. He did a, a, a web series where he represents a, a, a sort of um, another version of himself going to Comic Cons, and this is like his only memorable uh, uh, accomplishment whenever he's at these comic cons is like this 15 year old show sort of like mimicking how people are about firefly so he's a really funny guy he's got a, a great sense of humor and he does a whole bunch of different characters he's joker clayface dr trap calendar man condiment king so he's just a lot of good voice talent i think in the series
2: well and we can't forget alan tudyk's best role in my opinion which is hey hey the rooster from Disney's Moana.
1: <laughs> <So> I <remember laughs> about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and Jason yeah. Alexander is Cyborgman. Like, that was hilarious. He's got such a great, great voice. <laughs> He's such a character in himself.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think, though, that Kaylee Cuoco kind of suffers from the fact that she was an iconic character for so long. Because when I was watching it, even though I knew she was playing Harley Quinn, her voice is so distinct that all I could hear and see was Penny from Big Bang Theory. Even though she wasn't talking like Penny and it was very clearly a different character, there was still just an aspect to it where I was like, "Mm, this kind of pulls me out a little bit just because it's that distinct. And there's so much of what I've seen of Kaylee Cuoco's work that was just being Penny on Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. that I like she's doing something different and that's awesome for her career. But for me as a viewer, it was kind of hard to disassociate her from Big Bang Theory.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I actually didn't realize it was her initially while watching it until I looked at, I think, halfway through the series. I went and looked up the VAs. I'm sure I'd heard it before, but I wasn't paying attention. And when I realized it, then I started trying to pick up unconsciously that it was Penny. But before that, I was just amazed at at. You know the range and the talent of this particular voice of Harley, but I can see that I I kind of have to give her credit for trying to step outside that role and do something completely different because just for just for that, she she did a good job. Like there are others, and I I hate to say it, but you know, like Cameron Diaz and Shrek, it just sounds like her. There's no variation in her character that's not Cameron Diaz, but at least. With Kaylee Kuoko, I kind of mm-hmm. felt like she was veering a little bit away from what her her voice is that I recognize. You know what I mean? And that's just that's just my opinion. Yeah. So so overall, um, you know, I think I think it was a, a positive uh, appearance. It, it made a good it made a good impression on me. I'd watch other stuff like it on Toonami, and um, I don't mind if they take a break too. Just a general like sometimes Toonami needs a little time to to get. Series to work within their production timeframe and 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 you know a- acquiring new material timeframe. So I think that we got to be a little patient and embrace when they bring in shows like that, especially when there's a badass female involved. Am I right?
2: Hmm. I think yeah. it's important for people to remember yeah. too that this is Adult Swim, mm-hmm. and this Holly Quinn show I think really fits strongly with the vibe of Adult Swim as a whole. Like, I could easily see this being a mm-hmm. show that you could watch, you know, alongside Rick and Morty and, and the other shows that they have on there as well. Just because it has that very similar vein of the humor and the action and, you know, and the animation looks pretty solid. Like, I'm usually, I'm kind of an animation snob <laughs> because I'm very particular about the way I like <laughs> it to look, but, but this show looked clean. You know, there wasn't a point where I was like, this looks kind of ugly. Like the colors are bad. Like it was a pretty good looking show overall. So I think giving shows like this a chance is better in the long run. Honestly, you know, we need more shows like Harley Quinn, like Ballmasters, like Game Museto, just to kind of break it up a little bit and demonstrate that Toonami's programming can have some pretty wide, uh, wide variety.
1: Right. So, We've all had those moments where we're watching a show and all of a sudden in the middle of a very crucial action sequence or a very tender romantic sequence, suddenly the camera shoots to an angle of boobs and they're jiggling and you're like, what, what, what's happening now? I think Toonami does a good job of picking content where this isn't heavily featured. However it is it is something that the fans have talked about online with shows and other podcasts we've mentioned in specific shows so i want to get into the meat of discussing fan service and before you all hang up and decide no we don't want to listen anymore we don't want to hear about how fan service is bad Give us a chance. I think you'll find that this discussion will really get you thinking about different perspectives in fan service. So let's start with kind of establishing, you know, the boundaries of what fan service is. My understanding, if I were to define it, is intentionally uh, 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 framed shots to please the audience that are more often sexual in nature. Celia, how do you think that that works? Is that a fair definition of what fan service is? And is there anything you think could you know, further describe this?
2: Well, it's of one version of fan service. Overall, fan service is the meta-acknowledgement of the audience. And that can be done through titillation, with lewd and sexual imagery. That can be done with callbacks to anything that happened in previous installments in, say, a franchise, like Star Wars has loads of fan service, where they'll mention characters or different places by name you know, or even have them appear in a TV show or a movie. Megas XLR is loaded with fan service because it has Easter eggs referencing like Space Battleship, Yamato, Transformers, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So depending on what you're looking at, as long as it's that meta acknowledgement of the audience, that's where the fan service occurs. There's just a lot of different types of it.
1: So let's hone in on what we want to have for this discussion today i'm thinking more the random and gratuitous display of um panty shots leg spreads glimpses of breasts of of sexually uh charged images um uh, and i think that when the average fan while while we can acknowledge certain fan service includes like for example in in gundam they do a lot of close-up shops, shots, shots of, of details of the mecca um you know the average person when they're discussing fan service might primarily jump to the uh sexual nature of fan service is that is that fair to say do you think Mm,
2: yeah i think so i think more people tend to identify other like meta acknowledgements as easter eggs Mm -hmm. and so fan service has definitely i think over the years become more and more associated with sexual imagery or, or things that are meant to excite the audience just through that imagery, not necessarily like, look at this cool callback or look at this cool reference.
1: So when you're watching a show, Umeko, and you get these raunchy clips of panties or boob boob animations inserted, um, what's your, what is your experience generally when, when that comes up?
0: Okay, so whenever I, you know, just watching an anime and next thing I know, there's jiggling boobs, uh, I just think about who the target audience is. And for most of the, on an anime that's shown, they are catered to, um, you know, boys, teenage to young adult boys. So, of course, that's on their mind. So, of course, when they, you know, hey, show them some jiggly boobs. You know, they like that or a skirt flips up. <laughs> and so that's the main thing I'm thinking about. I'm just thinking about, hey, they're trying to, you know, just try to cater like, a little bit to. You
1: yeah. Know, you feel like you're not the intended yeah. audience when you see that image. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's correct. I don't think that they're, you know, trying to get people not to watch. They just like, Hey, we're, we want these young boys to keep watching. So every now and then just throw them some jiggly boobs real quick, or, you know, have a character that just mind of their business. And then this other character who's curious or whatever goes and like squeeze the boobs. So uh, I, that's what I just think. It doesn't like make me not want to watch, watch it, but times it's the amount of um, fan service and some, anime that makes me like okay was that necessary but I just think about you know the audience that they're catering to so that's what I think about it
1: so with the overall definition of of what is considered fan service Celia um do you would you do you think there is a uh quote-unquote good or bad version of what fan service you see in anime
2: I think so like for myself personally, I approach uh, especially fan service regarding like sexual imagery and that kind of thing. I take it by case by case because sometimes you have situations where the character is clearly not in control of it and whatever is happening is being done to them. And that's where, for me personally, it feels less ser- servicey for me and more for people who are into that kind of content. Um, and that's where I start to feel like it's just not my thing or kind of gross uh, but I think that fan service situations where the character is you know for lack of better term has agency in the fan service mm-hmm. where it's the character doing it themselves for the sake of a gag or because it's something that's to be expected of the character then I'm like okay like I know what's coming so I know what to expect and it doesn't feel as out of place or doesn't feel as alienating so that and but I know that not everyone kind of takes that approach with it because for some people they will watch shows specifically for the fan service. Like there are, there's an entire genre out there dedicated to just having, you know, panty shots and boob jiggles and, Oh no, I tripped and fell. And my chest, you know, landed on my senpai's face. Oh no. You know? So I think it really (laughs) just depends on what you're looking for in a show, you know?
1: I have found that when it's not expected, and when I say expected, I mean, um, so, so think of a show like Keijo, where you have these very voluptuous women sort of duking it out in this quote-unquote sports anime. It has a very clear intention of what you're going to see when you watch it, versus a show maybe like Fire Force or um, Sword Art Online, both of which I've been on Tsunami. The issue for me is that I'll be watching what is supposed to be an action show and suddenly my eyes are assaulted by a big, you know, bubbly chest shot or clothes bursting off a character and it's like, I didn't come here for this and this isn't improving my viewing experience. It's actually detracting from what I came here for, which is action. So for me, I feel like, the, the moment where the fan service becomes disrupted to the narrative and doesn't contribute to the storyline, that's when I consider it a bad moment of fan service. You know? And one of the um, most, I, I, I think this is the most memorable for me, which got me thinking about this discussion overall. Uh, was season two of Sword Art Online, and I know S A O is a very controversial show amongst fans in general of Toonami, but bear with me on this, listeners. Uh, there's this scene where uh, Asuna's trying to escape from the creepy guy who trapped her in uh, the 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 other world, and she she manages to get so far in her escape, and suddenly these tentacle like objects capture her. It scoops her up and hangs her upside down and then suddenly the tentacles are like squeezing her and rubbing all over her body as she's screaming and crying out in terror. And then you're just kind of stuck there watching it as she's helpless. Not only was the image very disturbing for me personally, but it also, I felt like it took complete agency away from a character that we know is a badass warrior character from season one and she's she's known for being one of the best swordswomen of the series she's known for being incredibly strong and here she is put in a situation of vulnerability but it's not even one that adds to her depth and character it's one that is robbing her of any any strength and it's robbing her of her uh, of her control over the situation and and i just it really stuck with me because it, it was very demeaning overall to the character of Asuna. You know what I mean? Did mm-hmm. any of you experience something like that when watching when watching any of these shows or or something similar from, tsunami or otherwise?
0: Um, I I feel like um, I you know I feel a little certain way when it comes to fire force. Because the show is like it is, it's good. It is really good, and I enjoy it. I enjoy the action, the story, and everything. Oh, but uh Tamaki, bless it. It is just like to me. That's uh, an example, in my opinion, of bad fan service because. Um, like we spoke about in a previous um, episode, uh podcast episode when, uh, li- and I watched it too, literally they just got done talking about the existence of God. And then we have this whole sequence of, um, I forget that character's um, name. That oh, he has he an awful name. I can't remember his name. <laughs> his, yeah. <laughs> Fighting his, you know, resistance to key by watching porn, doing all this stuff and just it and it doesn't work because she just breathes and her clothes pop off. That's so crazy. And, you know, and I was just like yeah, I was like, really? You know, and that just really took away of the seriousness of that just previous scene. And um yeah, and I just know for sure, and I've seen it on Twitter, how even in the first season when Tamaki would uh, show up and just close, you know, just everything that happens to her, and people have seriously, well, other women, they just stopped watching it. They were like, hey, fan service is a little bit too much for me. I'm done. Or like, hey, I quit watching it because it was just way too much fan service. And I, and me, I was like, Oh, if you just get past the fan service, the show is really good, but believe me I but I completely understand why they stopped it. And I'm like, hey, you you lose, you know, other, you know, women, you know, potential fans of this show. That all women who you do so much fan service that, you know, you lose viewers. So, that's my example of uh Excuse me. That's an example of bad fan service to me, yeah. especially when the, the show is really good, but then you lose people because of it.
2: What about you, Sue? Mm. For me, I actually knew what I was getting into with Sword Art and Fire Force. Like when I think of shows that offer fan service to their audience, those are two titles that immediately come to mind. Like I'm not surprised by the fan service in Fire Force or in Sword Art at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, actually, one of the moments was in the current season of Food Wars. Even though I know that that is an, oh an H, it is an H title, it has a lot of loot fan service already, right? Like mm-hmm. the food gasms are pretty much what has made it iconic. But <laughs> yeah. what but what drew me yeah, out of
0: exactly the, yeah
2: <laughs> right, what drew me out of this new season in particular mm-hmm, okay. is uh, there's a character Momo who experiences a food gasm in the recent season. But I didn't know until the moments before her foodgasm that she is a literal twelve-year-old. Yuck! This is a this is a show that's about high school kids, so it's already like, eh, that's kind of sus. But it's also not uncommon, Yeah. Uh, you know. And when you watch anime after a certain t- point, there is a point where you kind of become desensitized to it, just because of the frequent exposure.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But
2: finding out that Momo was twelve, and then she has an a food gasm where her clothes explode off was just so gross. (laughs) Like there's no other word for it. You know, I, I can handle the other fan service in food wars, even though a lot of it is just eye roll worthy. Some of it is kind of funny, you know, but uh, (laughs) that one was just too much. I'm like, this is not good. This is a literal child, you know, even though the other characters in series are also children because they're high school students, but this is like a, little girl <laughs> that they're putting in this situation. Yeah. And that's nasty. So I think that's the first thing I that came to mind when I'm thinking of bad fan service.
1: You know, you, may, you you said something that actually really resonated with me, that, that essentially we're so used to it we've become more or less anesthetized to fan service and we'll we'll take it and and in order to watch a show that we might be interested in. Um, that's actually A disturbing fact in itself that we have made it acceptable sometimes as viewers by not challenging the moments that are not acceptable so it makes me wonder sometimes and I don't mean this I love anime and this is not at all to 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 be a negative form of challenging but is this medium simply not mature enough to deal with a subject matter like sexuality in a manner that isn't exploitative is and is there a more tasteful form of displaying fan service that, won't be, that that can be shown on anime?
2: I think so. Yeah. You have to you have to look around, and that's where I say that really the approach to it is to look at it case by case, because mm-hmm. for example, um, Evangelion is one of my favorite shows of all time. Yes. Uh, it's also famous for its fan service as well. Even so much so that at the end of every episode, Misato says, there's more fan service in the next episode. See you soon. Like, that's her sign-off in every single episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And in the most recent Rebuild of Evangelion movie, there are ass shots everywhere. Beautifully drawn. They look wonderful. But they don't, like, draw you out. They're just there. Right? So it didn't bother me because even though I'm like, Oh, there's another butt right there in the frame, it wasn't in a way that made me go, but I'm distracted from the story because this woman's ass is taking up half the frame. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still engaged in what's going on. Um, you know, so I do think you can look at it different ways. Um, Mo one half is kind of problematic just because of all of the gender identity stuff in it that at the time when it was written in the eighties is no longer good now. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of issues mm-hmm. with it in the current fr- in the current context. But Ranma Half and and other older Rumiko Takahashi titles really taught me that a woman can show her body in those and not necessarily have it be the butt of a joke, or have it be there just for the sake of look at me and my pretty breasts. Like because Ranma, one of the things about him is that he walks around all the time naked because he's a boy but when he's in girl rama mode he forgets and continues to act like himself Mm -hmm. um in inuyasha you know kagome and sango are shown bathing pretty frequently but it's not in a way that's like meant to go look at these young girls bathing it's just they are bathing Mm -hmm. so i do think you have to look Mm -hmm. at different titles and look at it in each context to determine whether or not it's something that we've necessarily been desensitized to and it's actually a fan service thing that's inappropriate or immature, or if it's just maybe a cultural difference that we don't understand. Cause I know one thing that my friends have told me is that, you know, some of the scenes we see in shows where they're in a bathhouse and like the girls are teasing each other by touching each other's breasts and, and bodies and stuff. Apparently that happens. It's not all the time. Cause it depends on like, the relationship you have with the other people but it's not uncommon for girls to like tease each other like that in the bathhouse or men in particular really like to do you know the thousand years of pain from naruto that kakashi does yeah. apparently that's a favorite <laughs> among older men in in the bathhouse as well so so there are some things that are just differences like americans would never think of, of touching their friends' naked bodies while they're at the, you know, while they're in a hot spring. Mm -hmm. That's just something we don't do. But there are also some, but in Japan, you know, some people are okay with that. So that's the other thing to consider is maybe looking at it through a different perspective, just because of our own backgrounds. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, in one sense, I can see that we might be evaluating Japanese culture through the eyes as a Westerner. uh, But I also feel that there might be a cultural resistance uh, in the anime fandom to critique of of sexualization, objectification, and infantilization of characters. You know, we we talk about it in this form that that it's sort of we, we do it show an overall uh, problem that exists in both in, in in both audiences and in in creators and um, producers. So. There, There is a sense, I think, that there's an appetite for this discussion because I've seen where someone brings it up and there might be, you know, for example, on Reddit, which I don't frequent at all, you'll see a heap of abuse. But then when I have discussion with uh, on Twitter, for example, I'll see uh, fans be very, very adamant about saying, no, I did not like Tomoki's clothes bursting off. It ruined the show for me. You know, I'm a male viewer. And mm-hmm. I, I'm heterosexual, but I just didn't. I didn't enjoy this at all. So I feel that there is some appetite for the discussion as a critique. Not as a way to censor the content and change the culture, but as a way of saying, well, we as fans look for some representation of characters in a way that isn't solely an objectifying that. And also, sometimes the way they use fan service is a little lazy in my opinion. They throw it in there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they throw it in there to avoid having to give depth to a character. Uh, I think um, the Dragon Ball situation is one that probably a lot of people know. Bulma, who's supposed to be really smart, a lot of time gets reduced Mm -hmm. to this, this really sexy, bulbous character that Master Bushi's obsessed with. And I don't even know anymore what the point of Master Bushi is in the show because all he does is act like you know, the the pervy sage character and it's like, okay, what is their contribution to the storyline anymore? It seems like it's just about having that so-called hilarious dialogue where she's hot and he's pervy and and that's it. And it's just lazy writing. Yeah. And lazy animation too, because then we just got to do these big, big curves and, and, you know, then we don't have to do anything else to get in a character to be, get a character to be attractive to a viewer. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Mm, I do think there's a point where the gag gets old, Mm -hmm. right? Like, very old. Like, like, I know we've mentioned Tamaki a lot, but it's because the Tamaki issue in Fire Force is very glaring. Mm -hmm. Tamaki is an example of the poor writing in Fire Force. Master Roshi's constant Mm -hmm. pursuit of women is an example of poor writing because the gag, the joke gets old after a while. You know, and don't get me wrong. I love OG Dragon Ball. Like, it's my favorite installment in the Dragon Ball franchise. But there is a point where you're like, hey, (laughs) this joke is no longer funny. Can we find some new material instead of constantly leaning on the same one? And the same thing with Tamaki. Like, if that episode with the... I cannot remember his name. I want to say it's like Revenge or something. But with that episode where he tries Mm -hmm. to use, you know, adult entertainment to strengthen himself, but can't because, you know, I guess it makes reference to the meta of, you know, oh, the real thing is much better than whatever you can watch. Like, that would be funny if it was its own thing separate from the series discussion. And if it kind of gave a little bit more support for the joke, because it's completely lost just in that 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, so... I do think there's a point where you have to realize that fan service could just be hiding just bad writing where they can't figure out what to do. Like a great example of this is uh, for non-sexual fan services, Yashihime. Yashihime leans so heavily on meta fan service. To hide the fact that they don't know where the story's going, <laughs> it is so messy, and the plot is all over the place. But they're like, "Oh, but remember, you like Moroku. Here he is. Oh, but remember Kagome and Inuyasha. You like them. Here they are." But when you look past that, you realize that the plot is a mess, and it's not actually going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing that can be easy to overlook. Um, I do agree, though, that no one really wants to talk about it. So I've been moderating a very large Facebook uh, anime community. It's about 20,000 members for the past four years. And anytime someone wants to discuss things that are, I guess, do any sort of critical thinking about anime, Mm -hmm. people shut it down. Yeah, people shut it down right away and they're like, well, this is just the way it is. And I think that actually goes back to a bigger problem just with media consumption as a whole. It's either you like it or it's awful. There's no in between. There's no being able to look at it, and go, well, I like these things, but I didn't like these things. And that's how it affected, you know, my experience with this piece of media overall. And that's really going away. You know, it's not part of discussion anymore. Which is a shame because I think that there's so much that anime can provide just in terms of different types of storytelling. You know, looking at different types of fan service and seeing, oh, was this actually funny? Was this just weird? And was this one just gross? Um, but you can't do that when people aren't willing to even discuss that their show may not be perfect. Mm-hmm. When the reality is there is no such thing as a perfect anime.
1: That Yeah. That's a a really great point. Umeko. what are you thinking about the taboo topic of fan service?
0: Yeah, I just think that just people, they just don't talk about it or they just, some people just take it for what it is. But, um, But I think it's something that people have, as of late, have been about especially if it's the reason why they stopped an anime. So I think now people are starting to talk about it a little bit more and um which is good because I feel like this is a great, you know, topic to discuss because um it is something that's relevant to um just the anime, you know, industry in general. And uh I did find out that the name of the guy in fire for name is Assault.
1: Oh, so salt. Salt. oh, God, that makes it oh. so much worse. That makes it so much worse. Oh, sorry.
2: No, it's fine. I knew he had an awful name. I just couldn't yeah. remember if it was like... Revenge or like, ang- <laughs> I'm like, it's a stupid name with its it one word. And I can't remember it.
1: No, because it, it comes with a lot yeah,
0: of Yeah, that makes it, yeah. it, that make be it just so me. much worse.
1: But yeah, it comes with a lot of implications because it's clearly driven to be a, a, a sexual in nature, all their, their encounter. And then his name is Assault. It's like, well, where are you going with this fire force? Really? Where are you trying to go with this? <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't impact yeah. the viewing experience. But I think think the overall point here is that not to censor anime, but fans need to be able to openly discuss the level of disruption and discomfort that they have during these moments so that they can challenge creators and producers to make considerations about whether it's appropriate or not to include those moments in anime and manga. Don't you think?
0: Yes, I, I really do.
1: I find that Toonami is a, is a good job of being selective about more quality content. They obviously don't show programs that are primarily based on fan service. And Food Wars is the exception, but with Food Wars, you know exactly what you're getting. So I can't entirely, except for some of the more cringeworthy moments, um, you, you, I can't entirely complain. I've enjoyed Food Wars. I find it incredibly amusing. And the, the Foodgasm gag... You know, it's it's one that I get the simultaneous eye roll and, and chuckle from because I'm not taking it. It doesn't take itself seriously, so I'm not going to take it seriously. But that you know what you're getting. But then yeah, another show either. where I didn't come yep. here for this, um, you know, Toonami, I think, because they have such an excellent staff of producers that they, they try to look for quality content, but also they try to look for things the fans will like within this genre of the Adult Swim brand of action animation and, and some kind of edgy shows. I think a really great example of this that people either love or hate is Kill a Kill. Michael, I I seem to remember that being one of your favorite shows, right, Kill a Kill? Or am I getting that wrong?
0: Uh, I haven't really seen that beginning. I haven't seen that beginning to end yet.
1: <laughs> well, um, maybe... There's someone else I'm thinking of. <laughs> But yeah, mm,
0: I'll make a Kill. A now that one, now that one was good. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like that one. As, um, as far as one of our shows that they've shown. And um, yeah, they didn't really have too much fan service in that one that I can remember. Mm-hmm. I just remember, you know, some scenes with Ed's death, you know.
1: Yeah, a comedy kill
0: yeah you know in the bed with <laughs> in the bed with the main character it is just like that was like maybe one scene that stood out to me that was kind of you know her uh as death just trying to seduce um the main character because she just liked them so much but uh but i but i do think they've done a good job of like you know being selective and what they show and when it comes it okay. doesn't really you know it's not offensive and like you were saying with with uh, exactly. You get what you you like. You already know what you're getting into. And Fire Force, they're just like, oh, well, this is a good action, even though it has this, you know. So um, but I agree with that. They've done a good job with kind of you know, being selective of what they put on put on the block
1: Yeah, I I thought of Kill a Kill primarily because I remember when when I watched it, I didn't like it at all. But it's pretty popular and. Then Toonami fandom. Um, and I I was thinking about when I was making my notes for this about, you know, partially something you've mentioned, Celia, the different mm-hmm. interpretations that go behind people reacting to fan service. So on Kill a Kill, I can see there being two different interpretations that on one hand, it has this message about empowerment via expression. In this case, it's fashion being able to wear clothes or not wear clothes and how you want to dress. On the other hand, this message is entirely based on showing scantily clad or naked characters and there are some very obvious sexual overtones to their interactions and the 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 phrases phrases they use and that last fight just creeped the fuck out of me and I I get it that you know maybe maybe the individual Viewing experience is is what is forming my opinion, but um, it it seems to me that there are some instances where it's not meant necessarily, or that is the purpose of it to 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 get you critically thinking about like Evangelion. You said sometimes sometimes moments are there to make you uncomfortable on purpose because they want you to feel uncomfortable. You know what I mean?
2: Mm. Yeah, kind of. So with Kill Kill in particular. Hmm. Kill a Kill is uh, not entirely unbridled Hidoyuki Imaishi, <laughs> but it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, Imaishi as a director just does things full-stop high octane. And with Kill a Kill you really see that, you know, where the overall message is not to let society shape you into conformity because that's a big uh not problem, but it's a big like philosophical discussion point in japanese culture because there's the idea that you don't break out of the norm but at the same time what is the cost of adhering to the norm mm-hmm. and keeping your head down mm-hmm. and that's really what kill kill identifies yeah. however because it's imaishi he does it in like the least subtle way possible like he's pretty much as subtle as a gun in the way he does it because the breaking <laughs> away from society is done through these extremely like skin tight you know uh these very scantily, like scantily clad ladies you know and even with nudist beach like their idea of not conforming was by just not wearing any clothes at all <laughs> you know so uh <laughs> yeah if, i i like imichi's ideas and i think if you know going in that this is what you're going to get because this is this director's style. Then it becomes less about, you know, Oh, this is really awkward because these women are being treated this way. And more about, this is what he's trying to say, but it's also his directorial style. So it's not perfect. And it can be kind of clumsy. Like I, you know, like for example, um, Oh, the mom, I forget her name. It's not Rangiku, but it's very close. She, you know, there's a very disturbing sequence where she molests Satsuki because really she's no longer human. She's become one with the life fiber and no longer considers Satsuki as human. And that was the interpretation of the scene, but it was played off to be like weirdly lewd. I didn't like that very much at all. You know, and I found that to be much more off putting than the fact that Ryuko was really playing off of a magical girl trope. Like she transformed and then, oh no, I'm in this showy outfit that's showing off all my skin and I'm so embarrassed, you know? Because I think that reflects more of what that meta commentary that Imaishi was going for with don't conform and stand out the way you want to, because she had to be comfortable with standing out to fully access the powers of ah, what's his name Zenketsu? i think that's it um yeah so yeah kill a kill didn't strike didn't really give me that impression when i watched it but i also watched it in japanese and it's a wordplay heavy show so i don't know if the dub kind of made it seem differently because i didn't watch it in english
1: It is interesting though that there there's a common theme here in this discussion about knowing what you're in for, knowing what you're what you're getting when you watch a show. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't go to shonen to see it fan service. Like my idea of fan service and shonen is like my little girl crush on ex male character, you know, fighting and doing something cool through his fighting and rescuing someone else. Like that's the extent of me getting into it, like, and and Fen I think is a good example. We've gushed about Sheetan. I have, n- I make no qualms of saying I think he's a really hot character. But like, it's it's not like they're showing flashy shots of him half naked and he's he's going around like hopping in baths and everything. You know, he's just he's just being his best self with his bow and arrow, and I think that's hot. You know, so so I go in there, I know what I'm getting, and at no point. Would it be jarring for anybody else seeing him like that, you know? And this is the point where I think fans can can play an active role because there is a way that we can be critical without asking for any kind of censorship. So there's good content out there where that kind of fan service isn't heavily featured and it and the storyline moves smoothly and and if there is any moment it's in par with the narrative like like something specific where you have um so for example fena and and um what's the yuki Maro's awkward relationship if there was like a moment where they had an accidental encounter I might be more inclined to to go along with it and not be disturbed by it given that they've established this sort of fifth grade level romance and they're both adults clearly so it'd be it'd be amusing to see that mm-hmm. as opposed to something mm-hmm. I know that I I love I've said this before I love shonen um but you have, like, a show like Black Clover, which is definitely a favorite of mine, but I feel like even though it's written into the content to show, like, these these women and men, you know, and hyper-sexualized characters, I still feel like I have to ignore a lot of it to enjoy the show. And that's the part that's frustrating to me. I shouldn't have to deliberately say, you know, this, this bothers me in order to get content that I like, but, but I do... And I shouldn't have to ignore something in order to enjoy a show. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. It can be frustrating when there's a form of media that you really enjoy. But it feels like it's harder and harder to find one that appeals to your own tastes. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's something that I experience as an anime fan now you know, so much of what's being produced for current anime, not just anime that's airing on tsunami there's so much of it that I'm like, "Mm, I'm kind of too old for this now. Like, if I was watching this when I was 14, would I like it? Maybe. But my tastes have changed so much, you know, that I'm not interested in the harem shows anymore. I'm not interested in isekais as much anymore. You know, these self-insert stories where the main character is really just living out a power fantasy you know, that's, it's harder to engage with it because there's so few, so little of it now that makes me go, Oh, this is really cool. And I want to try it, even if it might have elements that I don't necessarily like. So I kind of see where you're getting at. It can be really disheartening. Um, and that's usually why I end up going back to old stuff (laughs) because it's, it's hard, you know, but at the same time you want to experience new things.
1: So, i mean what what could we like how can we as as fans really contribute to this conversation about you know improving the overall viewing experience for people who are uncomfortable with these these situations and and how do we do so without demonstrating to people who love that kind of fan service that it's not about censorship you know what what role like in in having discussions like this, are those going to play in an improving future? Do you think those can even have an impact in improving the quality of content for other anime? Umeko?
0: I don't think there, as long, I think as long as people are willing to listen to each other, I think we could get somewhere in the discussion about fan service and really getting the message across that you know, we're not trying to censor anything but just just talking about what we're doing now, what we don't mind, and then talk about the things that are cringy and uh, just having open discussions like that. And I think um, talking about it and just putting our thoughts out there, it, you know, it may make a difference. And um, hopefully someone will listen. But I think the main thing is to just say, hey, we are not trying to censor or trying to tell you know, people what to do when it comes to what we'd like to watch to be so heard to speak about it, talk about it, and you know, have that discussion.
1: So you do you think us as fans will have any impact on the industry uh, evolving about the on this topic?
2: Uh no. no. <laughs> I actually don't. Um the reality is is that anime is made for the Japanese domestic market. You know, we are not the primary focus. International fans do make up a larger percentage of their market than we used to. You know, I think if I remember right, the last statistics I saw shared by Miles Thomas when he was still working at Crunchyroll is that international fans now make up about 10% of the target demographic for anime. But the reality is, is as long as discs continue to sell in Japan and merchandise continues to sell in Japan, those types of properties are going to continue to be published. The biggest impact we can have as overseas fans is we can help our communities understand that we're just having, trying to have a conversation that it's okay to critically think about your media and not just praise it as this a hundred percent perfect thing that you can talk about things about that you don't like or things that you think are an issue, but it doesn't mean the show is bad. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, poor quality by any means. Some of the most beautiful projects out there have problems, right? Like, you know, when we look at classics like Akira, you know, even though there's not a lot of fan service in that one, the plot for that movie is God awful. It's so messy. It, it truncates the manga way too much, but it's one of the most beautiful and most critically acclaimed animated pieces of work in the world. So I think that's the best thing we can mm-hmm. do is just continue to have the conversations and really encourage our peers in the community to do the same thing. So that at the very least, when it does come up, there's not going to be this back and forth of, you know, well, if you don't like fan service then you're just a prude, or if, you know, if you like fan service and yeah. you're just, you know, you're just horny on main all the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that kind of thing, because yeah. I do think that, that it's possible mm-hmm. to discuss this stuff and also to learn to just agree to disagree. There are going to be some things you know, especially with fan service in particular, um, where we're just not going to always see eye to eye, even with the non-sexual fan service. And that's okay. And so I think that's probably going to be the best thing we can do as international fans is just continue to have the conversation, just keep talking about it.
1: I feel like there's one aspect of this conversation, and it's probably the question no one wants to ask or the discussion people don't want to have. But I I think that We've sort of walked around it delicately. Do you guys think that there is some harm in how in in Japanese media, particularly, they portray females in these hypersexualized situation? Does it harm the male female experience of, of interaction and and feminism and equality? And don't be scared when I use the word feminism, please. I, I mean this as a you know. This is obviously something that's difficult to, to approach, but it's something that I've heard people ask, that if people, if you repeatedly see examples of, of this kind of treatment, you know, does it influence? And, and it's it goes along with the, I think, you know, people saying things about watching violent shows or playing violent games, but nonetheless, I think it's important to address. Does this exploitative version of female male interactions impact the way they represent they, they act in Japan
2: mm, I think it's a more of a reflection rather than something that impacts mm-hmm. um science shows us I actually did a research paper on this because I'm a psychology major mm-hmm. um, about the effects of consuming violent media through video games and that kind of thing that mm-hmm just because you consume it doesn't mean you'll act on it. Yeah. So even though it's there, you can have people who watch and enjoy it, but it doesn't mean that they're going to engage in those same things and it's going to directly affect their actions with other people. However, I do think that the fan service and these hypersexualized situations do reflect Japanese society's perspective of women and their position in society because even though, you know, Japan seems like it's really advanced in a lot of ways, it's very not, it's very much not, you know, um, women can have careers now, but they still have to decide whether or not they're going to give up their career to become a family woman. Even though the reality is, is that everywhere it's much more difficult to have, you know, a single income family household, right? Women have to work, but there's still that societal expectation that, Oh, once you have children, you have to take care of the house and your family. Um, and really that women are treated like objects. Like I do believe that they're making steps forward, you know, cause I, you know, just when I visited, obviously it's a very narrow scope because I'm only there for a few days and I'm seeing it as an American, mm-hmm. but it does feel like, you know, it's modern society. It doesn't feel like I'm going to the dark ages when I'm over there in terms of how women are treated. But the fact that it persists in their media tells me that it is a common, like a commonly shared pers- perception of women. If that makes sense
1: I it makes me feel that us challenging our entertainment industry then to start uh, being more considerate of how this is reflective of that and perhaps demonstrate other forms of female male interactions, you know by it, it, that that might help improve the perception and and of course this is this has no basis probably in any actual science but i think that if if we're perpetuating the idea that this is how people act and we just have to deal with it then we're not really we're we're not really doing anything to improve the situation in the entertainment platform you know and and i'm not i when i when i see these Moments, and I I react to them. It's not just as a female viewer. Sometimes it's just me and my background and my upbringing, and I'm uncomfortable. So I would imagine that each individual has a comes to a situation with a similar, you know, a similar background of of that influencing their experience. But when we have series that don't show these, isn't that a more positive reflection of how? Uh, we want w- w- of the things we want to see in our entertainment. and by applauding these series more and giving them them you know a, a greater platform for just in, just uh, um, entertainment in general, would we not be taking a step forward in making that kind of change, that kind of positive change?
2: I think it would help, but it's not going to make as much change as we would think it would. That works for American entertainment. Yeah, American entertainment is very sensitive to the way American fans react. I'm going to be real with you. Japanese companies don't care what Americans have to say, Yeah, you know? So even if we're having this conversation, where we're saying that, you know, oh, this is bad. Like attack on Titan has a lot of problems in it. Why is this so popular? And we need to be more critical of it mm-hmm. because of the issues in attack on Titan. However, Attack on Titan performed extremely well, even when like the people of South Korea, like South Korean fans were having problems with it. Mm -hmm. Nothing about Attack on Titan changed. Right. Because they they're not interested in what their South Korean fans have to say. They're interested in Japanese dollars coming in from Japanese consumers. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about it all we want. The point where I see where we may have a little bit more impact is it shows licensing companies that, hmm is this a worthwhile investment? Like if people aren't going to stream it or aren't going to engage with it as much because of what's in it, maybe it might not be a good idea to license it, but it's not going to stop studios from going, oh, this is a really popular title. We're going to adapt it and we're going to make it into an anime because ultimately everything is a business. They have a bottom line that they have to meet. And listening to the 10% of their demographic is not going to benefit their bottom line where their largest source of, um, shoot, I forget the word, is not income, but they're really the largest source of really any profit that they're going to make when that's in Japan.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like yeah, you know, they're not going to, I don't feel like they're going change, to um, change too much. Um, I agree with Celia when it comes to that because it's like, hey, they're going <laughs> to, like you said, it's a business and they're going to, you know, keep, you know, making and doing, you know, the anime as they as they see fit. And. Um, but, yeah, they're just like, hey, well, making money over here and, the, you know, in Kansas. If they don't want to see it or consume it. It's fine. But <laughs> and I agree with you when it comes to, you know, Attack on Titan and all of the Ooh, problematic references it has and you know, it's still a very popular, uh <laughs> very popular title. You know, yes, and even in Sackling Titan, I've discussed this before and written about it when it comes to oh, the very problematic things in it, you know, still very popular. So, um, I mean, like I said, as long as it's popular, it's making money and um, licensing companies are willing to um, license it and make an anime, they're going to keep doing it and not really change.
2: And I do think, though, as we see more prevalence with co-productions in particular, that's where you may see a little bit of a difference. Absolutely. Because now you're because it's an international co-production and it's being intended for a global market. I think that's where you're going to see the change, because uh, when you have a company like Netflix or Disney, for example, where Americans aren't necessarily their largest demographic, but they are one of the largest, you know, China being the largest demographic overall, um, they're going to be looking at this as how would Americans perceive this? How would the Chinese perceive this? How would Europeans perceive this? So when you look at co-pros, that's where you see that they feel more... Like they have an international appeal unless of these very specific like Japanese storytelling styles or like Japanese, you know, gags and and jokes because you're not going to get them unless you're familiar with them or unless you were raised in that society. Right. You know, Fena is a great example of that, where there is fan service in Fena, but it's not like lewd fan service. It's callbacks to, you know, late 90s, and early 2000s when Fena gets bonked on the head all the time for talking too much. Right. Um, I haven't watched Castlevania myself, but I haven't heard anything coming out of it where it's like, Oh, this feels very Japanese. In fact, I hear the opposite. Most people when they watch Castlevania are like, this doesn't feel very Japanese at all because it's an international co production. Right. It's
1: so definitely with those- a series you need to know what you're getting before you watch it. That's for sure. Cause if you don't right, an incredibly <laughs> jarring experience, Especially Oh yeah. My own personal experience with that
2: right you know so so things like that i think if you watch international co-pros and like uh at the time we're recording this disney announced that they're getting into the anime game and they're going to be licensing anime you know the first they're starting with their twisted wonderland series which is based off of their mobile game you know but also licensing non-disney originals as well which is very interesting because disney has a very strict brand image Mm -hmm. so the fact that they're getting into it i'm like that's different i kind of want to see where this is going to go And really, I think as we watch the shift right now in the landscape for anime, we may see some change because you're going to have these big companies that are like, we're going to pay you to do this, but you need to do it our way. Star Wars Visions is a great example of that, where they're like, oh, we would love animated Star Wars, but you got to do it our way. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you don't do it. You know, so for things that are made specifically for the Japanese domestic market, and then our license basically as an import title. There's not going to be a lot of change, but I do think Netflix and Disney pay attention.
1: I, I think tsunami. T- for their GoPros,
2: they'll be listening.
1: Yeah, I I think Tsunami pays attention too. I think they they have seen what fans react to and the content that they're craving, and they've been able to gauge that appropriately. So we we have one series that's primarily a, a, a fan service show, and then we have other ser- if we have other series that aren't. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I have noticed that you know co-productions and and um, services that primarily have a, a larger U.S. audience. Do listen more to the fans, and I would agree that this is the part where we can be vocal about what we would like. And I don't mean obnoxiously spam Jason and Mark, please, <laughs> right. please don't take that message from this. But, but praising series that you like and having thoughtful critiques about what you don't like about series, and being able to do so without having abuse or people saying, this is just how it is in Japan that's okay. If that's the way it is in Japan, that doesn't mean you can't be uncomfortable with it. You know? Exactly. It's not taboo. And in fact, it, in fact, it gives you more rich areas to discuss if you're able to really think about, well, why do I feel uncomfortable? Why is it different? Why is it okay for this, this member of the audience and not this member? That's okay to have. And it's never okay to be abusive, or mean or shut down someone else for expressing their feelings. Because in the end. We're a small community here overseas, and we have to band together. We have to be positive, and we have to support each other and uplift each other. And also, to, to, to have any kind of impact on the industry and the content we want to see here, we have to do so as a, a unified force, and, and whether that means some people want fan service specific and some people want zero fan service and I mean the sexual kind not the more the 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 overall mecha version or, or as you call easter eggs you know that's something that being vocal mm-hmm. about can have I think some some positive impact mm-hmm. I would agree we just yeah, gotta respect to each other's boundaries band. yeah
2: yeah <laughs> you know like oh my I God, love, yes, like I love that, fan service yeah right but I'm not going to tell someone who doesn't like it like you have to watch this show and you have to enjoy it even though you're uncomfortable with what's in it.
0: Like no, that's just rude. <laughs> yeah, it's rude and I'm just like, you know, no judgment. <laughs>
1: I think the only the only thing that I I find that that can be frustrating for me as a fan you know, is is when it is disruptive. That's the point where it becomes a negative viewing experience for me. And I really hope that as, you know, this discussion becomes less taboo and hopefully more global, maybe there'll be a, a greater variety of anime that I don't have to go 20 years ago to go find to see. That includes content where... There isn't a random chest shot, uh, some some kind of male gaze feature that disrupts the narrative, you know. Which, which I, I I think that's the biggest takeaway here is where it the moment it becomes bad is where it's disrupting the viewer's experience in any way, shape, or form. So even yeah. though it's great to 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 say, well, if you don't like that show, you can watch this show. I would like I would like to not have to to go into you know three episodes in a show and be really into the characters and then suddenly be bombarded with like you know bouncing breasts in my face. like no, no, that's not why I came here. It's a factor we all have to deal deal with. Yeah. I think it's it's important we take away being um, positively communicative and understanding of cultural differences and understanding of fan preferences overall. I think that would be my takeaway. Any final thoughts or takeaways about the overall discussion of fan service?
0: Um, my final thoughts when it comes to my final thoughts when it comes to fan service is that uh, we you know have definitely talked about the good fan service, the bad fan service, and um what I would like is for you know give a show a chance if it does have some kind of fan service. Um, in it, but uh, but it's also it all. It ultimately becomes um the fans' decision on you know what they can tolerate and not tolerate. And we know fan service is gonna be in anime without a doubt. But it is totally you know if fans if a fan service in an anime is too much for you, or if you can you know. Or if you can look past it and enjoy it. But um but yeah, fan service isn't going anywhere and um it's all up to um you know, it's all up on it's up to the viewer on what they can tolerate and what they can't tolerate. But um but never be afraid to speak up on what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with because your, you know, your opinion matters and you know, never be afraid to speak up to what, you know, you accept and what you find unacceptable. So that's what I think.
2: Amen. Yeah, final thoughts? Um, Yeah, I'm pretty much going to just echo, you know, echo Yumeko's sentiments. I think that you really need to be discerning of what you're getting into. You know, it's so much easier now to do your research before you go in, you know, and figure out what kind of show this is. Mm -hmm. Um, Know your boundaries because, you know, everyone has – their own limits for what they're willing to tolerate, mm-hmm. but also it's okay to talk about it. You know, I, I really would like to see more critical thought about anime. You know, uh, I missed those kinds of discussions when I was a younger fan, you know, where more people did that and it's just not happening as often. And I think that the more we do that, then fan service will seem less like a, like a shock factor or something that's sh- that surprises people And something where people can actually talk about, well, I liked this, but I didn't like this, you know, and that's something that's come out of my own personal journey with experiencing fan service over, you know, the past, what, 18 years as an anime fan Mm -hmm. is just looking at it and going, I like that. I thought that was funny or that was really sexy and awesome versus that wasn't so funny. And that was kind of gross. So yeah, just talk about it and make sure you know what you're getting into, but also have fun. It's a cartoon. Yeah. Not all of them are meant to be taken super seriously. Um so yeah, enjoy it. Try not to let it distract you too much if you can, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I think on that note, we can uh, get into some house cleaning. So if you like this episode, or if you have thoughts about any of the topics we've discussed, either on the Ladies Takeover or on the Tsunami Faithful podcast, feel free, please, to email us at podcast at tunamifaithful.com. Uh, and if you haven't already, follow us on Facebook at the Tsunami Faithful podcast or on Twitter at tsunami Podcast. You can listen to this and any other episode of the podcast on iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, anywhere you get your your podcast from. Uh, you can also find where we've been releasing every month episodes of CJ's interviews on his documentary, What Toonami Means to Me. And it's been some really fun content. I strongly suggest those of you who haven't seen a documentary watch it. And also watch these these interviews, because you get a really great one-on-one experience um, with some of the people he interviewed. Uh, You can find all the episodes streaming online at SoundCloud of the Chami Faithful Podcast. You can get the latest news by following Toonami News on Twitter. Um, We post news, views, and reviews, and editorials, which at times I write myself when I'm actually here in the country. (laughs) You can subscribe to the Tanami Faithful Past at patreon.com. The money you give through Patreon helps support us being able to go to uh, cons when we're able to go to cons again and keeping the website running. So, Celia, where can they find you? Actually, I did this backwards. (laughs) Umeko, where can they find you?
0: (laughs) They can find me on Twitter at Blue Temptation. That's at B-L-U underscore Temptation.
1: Celia, where can they find you?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Planets Twinkle and on Facebook at Celia Rose Cosplay. I'm also on a weekly YouTube show called Pop Culture at YouTube.com slash Macross Fan Central, uh, where I discuss uh, different things in pop culture that we find interesting with my friends Chad and Alex. We're primarily Macross focused, but we also talk about other things as well. Uh, You can also find me behind the scenes on all of our Toonami Faithful social media accounts. So anytime you tag us in a post or comment on anything that we share, me and my team can see it.
1: You can find me at Happy Girl Kitty on Twitter, online, usually. It's been sporadic lately, but I promise I'm back and I will be back for the foreseeable future. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Peace.